Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Apple could be tested in a technology called Li-Fi, which is a play on words on Wi-Fi. Li-Fi was invented by a man named Harold Haas, a researcher at the University of Edinburgh, and has since been worked on by numerous companies. Uh, the technology is about 100 times faster than Wi-Fi with speeds of up to about 224 gigabytes per second because it uses light spectrum to transmit data. This seems like it's going to happen uh, on a mass scale. Yeah. When? No clue. Um, Apple filed for a lot of patents recently. Uh, a couple years ago, they had one on optical modulation using an image sensor. Uh, so they're in the game. Uh, Twitter doesn't seem to stop breaking. Uh, they had another big outage, and this is kind of embarrassing for the company. Uh, stock has been tanking. They're coming up with new ideas, but your core product has to work. Otherwise, people will stop using it. Delta posted $980 million fourth quarter profit on lower fuel prices. Winner of low oil prices are transport companies. Um, home builder sentiment is stalling around 60 in January. This is no big deal because it still shows expansion, but it's down. So it shows you the rate of expansion is slowing. Penthouse is following Playboy magazine into, into the world of, not oblivion, but into the digital or print oblivion. Uh, the glory days of gentlemen mag gentlemen's magazines over. Uh, the long-running and raunchier arrival of Playboy Penthouse had its ending its print edition after 50 years on the newsstand. At one point in time, they had over 5 million copies. Um, subscriptions. Not anymore. Starbucks is launching a Spotify service for mobile app customers. It's going to give its mobile app customers access to Spotify's music streaming service. This will allow its 10 million loyalty members... Uh, to use Spotify. Um, cute. I don't see that as a major story. WhatsApp is dropping its subscription fee because it's just not, you know, a business model to charge people $1 per transact or $1 per use of your service. 
they could figure out better ways to monetize that. China's economic growth slowest in 25 years. That's a big story. And the world could drown in oil. That's the story of the day. Let's talk a little bit of real estate and that home builders deal. Let's talk real estate with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's done a refi for me, a refi or two, and an original mortgage or two for me. So he's my go-to guy when it comes to lending. Let's talk a little portfolio lending, Mr. Mendez. What's the word portfolio lending mean? Like, what, what's the concept here? A portfolio lender is basically a lender that's going to lend you a mortgage. Okay. And a new money, and they're going to keep it on their books. They're probably not going to sell it to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Okay. But what it also allows them to do is kind of go out of the box and give you different kind of guidelines um, that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac won't allow. The downside is is that they're limited on the products that that they offer you. They're going to be a little bit more risky, like usually an arm, and they sometimes can have prepayment penalties on it. But it, 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 it I think portfolio lenders have a great place in the market. They're picking up the slack that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are, um, that, that they can't handle. Um, and it's a necessity, and I think it is leading towards the privatization of mortgages. And I think that it's kind of, you know, they're feeling it out. And I think there are, are ways for lenders to make money this way and help the society in the same uh, fashion. Uh, but there are so many different kinds of portfolio products and, and guidelines that are different than Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They do higher uh, calculations on asset depletions, condos that aren't warrantable, foreign nationals, pledged assets. Pledged assets are really interesting. You can actually have assets in your bank, move them to the bank that you're going to get the money from, and they count that towards your down payment, but you don't actually have to spend the money. Okay. It's called pledged assets. So you can put 20% down, but only put really 10% down and put the 10% in their bank. Um, you do self-employed for less than two years, high debt ratios, uh, recently listed properties. I mean, there's a long, long list. Uh, of reasons why portfolios work in the industry right now. Now, portfolio lending, uh, one of the things that you brought up is that they kind of pick up the slack that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can't cover. In the Bay Area, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac typically can't cover necessarily um, the jumbo homes. I mean, there's some really expensive homes here that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac just say, you know what, that's not our cup of tea. Good right, luck. a jumbo loan is essentially a, a portfolio loan. Okay. It, it's an investor that's that have set their guidelines, typically close to what Fannie Mae Freddie Mac um, is doing, and they, we're not too far off of what Fannie and Freddie are doing okay. when we're in portfolio or jumbo. Um, we're just looking at different ways to loan people the money at these different for these different scenarios, and that's where they really pick up the slack. Now, what else do we need to know about portfolio lending? And do we even need to know, or are you just magically going to get It's different loan? than private money. Okay. Um, private money is where you basically don't even show credit. You don't show income. You don't show – well, you do show assets, but you show more of a story, um, and it's more equity-based than it is um, than it is credit-based. But portfolio lending is still going to follow the same kind of guidelines where you need a good credit score. You need to have income. You still have to qualify under the ratios uh, that they offer. But you, you, when going into a type of loan like this, you have to understand that you're, you're, they're, they're putting you in a cycle. They're, okay. they're putting you in a cycle just like a bad credit kind of cycle where you're buying a car and you go back and you buy another car and, you, and you're always at the higher interest rate. You're just at a different kind of program. And some of the products that they offer are actually lower rates than you can get through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but, again, they're riskier. So it's not for everybody. It's interesting because I had a conversation recently at one of my events where someone's like, I want to buy a rental property for retirement. I'm like, okay, what 
I need to explain to you is that that's riskier than buying a real estate investment trust. I would rather you look at a REIT that's publicly traded, like an Avalon Bay, and then you're buying rental properties in San Francisco. Right. And Free and clear. A hundred shares is a hundred shares. A lot of investors, now that person may buy one and eventually end up with ten. Um, there's some rules that say you, you can't buy more than ten properties on your credit, but some portfolio lenders allow that. So it is a tool that investors use as well. It's interesting to note because uh, I had to convince the guy that having a retirement property is a risk in mm-hmm. retirement if you lose the, uh, the tenant – if rates go up in the next 10 years, which I'm guessing mortgage rates go up in the next 10 years, then the, value, right, then the valuation of what someone's going to be able to afford is probably less because we're more how much can we afford centric than we are interest rate centric. Um, and the guy just looked at me with like glass in his eyes. It was kind of sad that he just wanted me to agree That's with That's because him. most of what he's hearing is that real estate's the end to your real estate problem or your re- retirement problems. It's yeah. the best way and fastest way to get to retirement and make money. You can find Tony Mendez, thank you, at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Like I said, he's done numerous loans for me. He gets the job done. It's pretty thorough. It's a process. So know that going in that you want to borrow money these days or refinance money, it's going to cost you some time and effort. So you can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. You can find me at RobBlack.com. Got a big seminar coming up on Thursday the 28th. It's an income and retirement event. I'd love to see you there. Um, I'll try to give you as much wisdom as I can. I'll give you some specific stocks that I own and why for income. We can talk earnings reports. We can talk credit markets and how important they are to the stock market, the Chinese currency, oil prices, the free fall in oil prices making investors jittery. Investors are watching for any stability in China. We look for higher returns in exchange for lending money to companies as a nation. So we're paying attention to a lot of what we're seeing in the credit markets. I pledge if you listen, I'll do my best to provide you a pretty good, solid financial show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. No one's expecting the, well, not no one, but few are expecting the current reprieve rally to last into February. A lot of people expect, you know, hey, the story is the story, and it hasn't really changed. Just because you have a good day or two, it doesn't change things. Oil prices are slumped for the better part of 15 months, and there's a fear that there can be a river of gloom and doom in the oil patch for the foreseeable for the future, i.e. the IEA used the word, the world might drown in oil this year. And the countries that produce oil... 
they, they want more expensive oil because that's the way they kind of support their economies. Now, the problem with that is, is when oil comes down, that lack of support's pretty obvious. Um, and it, the bleed through the, through the system is problematic. It creates a situation where now they don't have as much cash to give to their economies. So the politicians say, "How? what do we do? And they devalue their currency. And that creates inflation on the people. And that makes consumption more difficult. So an Apple phone becomes more expensive. A pair of Nike shoes becomes more expensive. Intel Semiconductor becomes more expensive. And that price of oil hasn't said, you know what, we're going back to 100 115 anytime soon. So there's really little reason to get excited at this point in time. Now with that out there, I'm not all gloomy and doomy either. Hopefully you're not as well. Uh, should you panic? S&P 500 is down 8% in, what, roughly 15 trading days or less? If you're starting to wonder about when to freak out, it's up to you. It's, if you need the money in the next one to two years, you should be freaked out. If you need the stocks to be converted to cash in one to two years, you should be freaked out, or you should have a plan. I'm not saying freaked out, but I see that. Market sell-offs aren't fun. Um, being skinny, not fun. Eating Ben & Jerry's ice cream, fun. If you're starting to wonder about when to freak out, that's a sign your portfolio is probably not balanced correctly and you need to figure out a better income stream slash asset allocation equity diversification plan. So you should have a rainy day fund. I have one and it stinks. I saw the cutest little little uh, house for $225,000. I'm like, rainy day fund, I could use my rainy day fund. I'm like, nope, that's an investment property. That's not a rainy day fund. So if I do it, I have to do it with like more credit or eh, something that's not as good. Now, before you invested, you should have a pretty good idea of market volatility. I got I read you an email from a you know just one of those tightly wound people, uh, Oakley, uh, no CJ, uh, Chris, and he's an Oakley and he's cheat about you know the whole mortgage disaster and he, he bought high, and I would. If I were him, I'd be embarrassed that I bought high without knowing that five years could play out the way five years have played out. Um, you know, in his analysis, he got kind of bitter about Chase Quarry and Wamu and mortgages and how they got bailed out and principal reduction. Where's my cut? Is this how big business works? Yeah, it kind of is. Um, I know that it's been almost a decade since the downturn, but how come I don't hear about other people upset like myself? Because you're chaped and other people have moved on. Um, just throwing that out there for you. Sheryl Sandberg. Wait, wait. Let me go backwards. One more thing. Um, with market sell-offs, they're pretty normal and healthy. Before you invest, like I said, you should have a plan on how you can handle, you know, inconsistencies. Now, we've had six up years and one sideways, just slightly down. 
And if you take out four or five major stocks, it was a down year last year. But the S&P 500's weighted, and historically it's returned an average of 9.7% since 1928. But getting that 9.7% on average historically isn't pretty. If you ever take a look at the markets on a day-to-day basis, month-to-month basis, quarter-to-quarter, it can kind of look like, is it called EKG? Where they monitor your heart and, like, you always see, like, Dr. Anthony Edwards, Dr. Anthony Edwards, take a look at this. And it's like this crazy up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, up 20%, down 20%, up 20%, down 20%. But historically, we average 9.7%. In any given year, there's a very good chance stocks will be down 9, 9.2%, especially bad years. If that's too volatile for you, you shouldn't own stocks. Now, as an investor, I want you to be as smart as possible. And I always want you to look for trends, demographics, you know, the digital trend in music, you saw how CDs kind of, I'm not going to say they became irrelevant, but they kind of did, right? To digital music, um, digital downloads that you pay for, all the way to the point of streaming services. So when you see print, Penthouse Magazine follow Playboy and saying, you know, we're not going to print things anymore, I think the whole print industry is on notice, if they haven't been on notice, and they have been on notice, as you've seen a lot of local papers go uh, bankrupt and under. Disruption's all around us, and I think the best thing you could do is to embrace it. Mobile is overtaking desktop. Social is beating search. On-demand is undercutting TV. Messaging apps are challenging email. Everything around us is being connected. These shifts and trends can re- rattle our businesses. They could rattle our stock portfolios. They could rattle our lives. They don't have to. I think being well-informed is a smart thing. Digital media consumption is growing. You need to know that. Everything else is shrinking in media consumption. Digital media, growing. Everything else is shrinking. Video, music, and digital print subscriptions are climbing fast. Um, I've got a subscription to an app called Headspace. Um, It's 9 bucks a month, roughly, for help on meditation. I love to meditate. I'm one of those guys. I'm getting there. Um, I don't love to meditate, but it helps me. It calms me. It relaxes me. It lets me sleep better. You should know that native digital advertising will continue to thrive. The existential crisis of ad blocking will resolve itself. Um, But be careful what you wish for. Um, I don't use ad blockers because I think the content is created and someone's paid for it. Even if it's, you know, a Reuters story being redistributed, I don't know. Power and wealth are more concentrated than ever. Know that. Accept that. Politicians will say anything to you, and then what gets done? Very, very little. Know that. Accept that. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. Big event coming up on the 28th of this month. You can sign up for it at robblackshow.com.
visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. I started my morning by reading this page one article at briefing.com. It's kind of a setup for the market's action on the day or stories of the day or something along those lines. Um, and one of the, the numbers that hit me was down 8% for the year on the S&P 500. And I was like, didn't January just hit the midpoint? It kind of did. Um, Mr. O'Hare, how are you? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Nice to be back with you. It's good to have you back. Um, are you surprised by 8% in half of a month of action? Doesn't that feel consequential? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, that it, that it's come that, you know, that quickly. Um, you know, our market view for 2016 was that it was likely to be a difficult year, uh, and that we thought really that, um, uh, you know, starting off the year, people who, you know, were kind of sitting there with money that they wanted to invest, we thought maybe, well, might be more advisable to sit back and observe things because we did think that the potential was there that you'd get a setback. So because you had a market trading at a full valuation, um, and then we had this um, questionable move by the Fed, uh, you know, raising interest rates uh, into an economic environment that wasn't exactly uh, reeking of strong growth. Um, and so we thought it could be a little bit problematic at the beginning of the year here, certainly, but, you know, to see it go down as quickly as it has has, has certainly been a surprise. What are you doing about that? What's your reaction as a thinker, um, as a strategist, as a, a market analyst, as a right. person who has to pit, put pen to paper tomorrow and say, you know, what's the new angle? Or is that yeah. – um, ball's in your court. Sure. You know, well, you know, I, I look at things – I'm a fundamental analyst, so I'm looking at, you know, earnings growth uh, or the lack thereof, really, uh, and the trend in earnings estimates. Um and that trend in earnings estimates is still lower, uh, which uh, in my mind is is a negative factor for the market here. Even though you've had this pullback in price, you can't necessarily uh, uh, feel altogether confident that you've you've reached a more attractive PE multiple just because you still have earnings estimates that continue to come down. So you kind of don't know where things are going to settle down there and 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 at what level and and how that corresponds to a, a price to earnings ratio you know right now we're despite the setback trading at about 16 times uh estimated forward 12 month earnings and that's in line with the 15 year historical average according to data from uh, S&P Capital IQ um so you know even though we've had an 8% pullback you know the argument still holds that we're we're sitting at pretty full valuation, you know, and um, so I'm not necessarily chomping at the bit to buy this pullback. And in fact, I think that there will more, more, more than likely be an urge to to sell into the strength. Um, I think it, it's probably upset, uh, made a lot of people nervous here in the early part of the year that things have kind of unraveled as quickly as they have. And, you know, everyone's asking that same question, do I sell, you know, now or do I get back in? And, and I think there'll be an element in there that is looking for a rebound from these, uh, what technical analysts will call short-term oversold conditions. And I think people will be looking to sell into any type of rebound from those short-term oversold conditions, um, just trying to raise a little cash and then just to move to the sidelines to see how the how the dust settles. I I think that's that's reasonable uh, view of things here because of the way that. Um, 
uh, earnings estimates are trending here, uh, and because of you know economic data globally, uh, that really continues to to look you know relatively poor from our vantage point. So where can we find some positives, or is it that we should be listening to you and instead of trying to find the positives? Uh, heed warning and maybe cut exposure to the worst of the positives or the worst of the negatives. Well, you know that that one positive, and you know, you know listeners may scoff at, at the at the remark, but you know, can, continues to be. Eventually, you have to believe that these low gas prices and these low energy prices, um, uh, you know, are are positive here for for the consumer. And 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 yeah, you know, there are offsets certainly in the forms of higher rents. Uh, higher medical costs and things like that where you're not able to realize the full potential of those gas price savings as far as uh, unleashing some discretionary spending power. Um, but it, it does help. Uh, and then on the, on the flip side, you know, we still see, you know, labor market growth, um, and, and that's a positive here. We need to see that, you know, again, continue to translate into sustainable wage growth, um, and which has been the real uh, bugaboo, really, for this economy, is that you haven't had any real sustained wage growth here to um, to unleash, you know, uh, animal spirits and consumer confidence in a way that people feel better about going out and and, and spending more. I think people are still inclined to try to, to to save more than they have in the past, and that's been a drag on uh, on economic activity, and it's been a drag on capital spending plans on the part of businesses because they don't perceive that consumers have the confidence that uh, that they'd like to see to uh, reconcile investing in in new capacity and the like. And so, um, but you know, low gas prices, pick up in labor market, you know, those are positive things here, all in all. Um, but again, uh, you know, I think that uh, we keep running into these headwinds of of, a, of an interconnected global economy. I mean, the U.S. seems to be managing, you know, through this, uh, uh, but we haven't hit that escape velocity, and it's going to be difficult to do that. I think uh, with the lack of uh, of strong growth elsewhere. With the slowdown in growth, do you expect there to be a ripple effect into? My backyard, Silicon Valley, venture capital, borrowing, uh, maybe in your background backyard where maybe your, you know, brother is going to get married and needs money for a ring. Will there be a ripple effect in lending and, and how or not? Um, is the slowdown a pause that refreshes? Is it a good thing? Well, it's a it's a great question, Rob, and it, and it is admittedly somewhat you know tough to answer because I think you know when you look at the call it the stock market economy, and then you look at the real economy, right? So the real economy is, is sort of muddling through here, uh, underpinned by, you know, uh, a pickup in labor growth. Uh, we're hearing out of these banks that you're seeing some modest uh, loan growth, nothing great, but you are seeing some modest loan growth. And Bank of America said that they're seeing pretty uh, solid demand across, you know, their loan port these days. Uh, and that's, that's a good thing. Um, but in certain pockets, like say Silicon Valley, you know, and you've seen the slowdown in the IPO market because of these financial market conditions that are pretty volatile, and because of uh, you know concerns that perhaps the market is topping, um, and because of concerns that you know um, uh, that you know China and the like, you know, are going to continue to roll over, and you're going to continue to see pressure on 
on earnings prospects. And so, so you're not seeing the IPO market, you know, uh, go gangbusters here because of that. And there could be some ripple effect there in an area like Silicon Valley or the Bay Area uh, from something uh, of that nature. And, and, of course, I'm sure you're well aware of, of you know, your housing market out there has certainly uh, gone gangbusters on account of some of that uh, really remarkable growth we're seeing uh, in the Silicon Valley and Bay Area. And so, um, so there is some potential there. You see some, some ripple effects from the slowdown abroad, but it will probably be in isolated cases um, uh, around the country that we see that. But those isolated cases are enough to kind of, I think, keep overall animal spirits here in check because everyone's worried about, you know, the prospect of that you see another meltdown like we saw, you know, 2008, 2001, and, and, um, and that's keeping everything sort of in check here right now from an investor sentiment standpoint. And less and less, correct me if I'm wrong, the U.S. economy looks nowhere near a recession, so people shouldn't freak out. Or am I wrong? Are we that close to a recession? Well, you know, again, there's some mixed signals. Is that no? You know, if you look at you know the labor market growth, obviously, um, you wouldn't think that we'd be anywhere near a recession. Um, and uh, but you know, you're not seeing industrial production grow that strongly. You're not seeing business investment pick up to any great degree. Uh, so it's sort of this like teeter totter effect, right? Some days you. Feel like there's no way we can be anywhere near a recession. Other days, a piece of data hits that suggests you know maybe we are rolling toward that end. You know, and you look at uh, areas like the the Russell 2000, uh, which is down 11% year to date. Right, that's a an index that uh, you know is a domicile for primarily domestic oriented companies. You would think it would be doing so much better given the relative strength in the U.S. economy, and yet it's the worst performing of the major indices uh, this year. And then on top of that. You have the Dow Jones Transportation Average, um, which uh, has been just abysmal, uh, not only this year but all of last year, which is, um, again, you know, uh, one of those indicators that makes you sit back and, and, you know, scratch your head and wonder, you know, where is this economy going? Because um, you should see transport to be somewhat of a leading indicator of of a stronger economy, and we're not seeing that at all right now. Um, So we're just kind of in this really – economic purgatory i think you know we're not going to get out of it soon here and i think everyone's waiting to make sure that you know china doesn't fall apart in a very uh, you know in this hard landing kind of way to make sure that the u.s economy can uh, avoid that quote you know recession but certainly not seeing very strong growth overall thanks very much it's patrick o'hara i wish i had a little bit more time because he wrote a piece called the big picture on Friday, people should go to briefing.com and check it out. It's all about growth expectations and earnings tied towards the fourth quarter, which we're starting to report in the first quarter of the United States. Uh, so it's earnings week. It's earnings uh, season. It's a great time, and he pins great pieces. It's Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com. It's briefing.com.
listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Rough start of the year, huh? You have to acknowledge that stocks don't always go up. And then you're like, eh, not that bad. Chinese economic growth, weakest in 25 years. One of the reasons we had a great, great um, run in the last six years, minus last year, last seven years, but minus last year, six out of seven, uh, is because of China. China's becoming more of a consumer-oriented. No, no, no. They're still very surface. Uh, they're still very much a manufacturing, but they're trying to get their services and consumers catching on. So economic growth out of China, weakness in 25 years, has people a little eh, freaked. Oil prices have positive and negatives. For me, I saw gasoline at my local station at 2.69. Holy mackerel! I was uh, traveling a little bit and I saw gas at 3.59 over the weekend. I'm like, what's going on? And then I saw that their pumps—they only had—they're they're running out of gas. So they must not get a lot of. I don't, I don't know. I didn't really follow up, but gasoline, gas stations buy gas, and if they buy it today at two seventy nine, they're not going to be lowering the price to two sixty nine a gallon until gasoline prices maybe hit two fifty nine because they bought it at two seventy nine, filled up their tanks. They want to sell it as much as they can at that price, so it doesn't always follow as quickly as you think it would, and that's a little bit of a disappointment, but it's okay. Um, I always want people to, again, try to focus on these issues. Um, pay attention. If there was a Rotten Robbie's next to my house, I would get gasoline every time from Rotten Robbie's. I do not use the big name companies to get my gasoline. In the state of California, there's mandates on what gasoline formulas must look like, and I use that one. Now, do I feel great that I'm at Rotten Robbie's or some sort of cheap discount gasoline company? No. Um, I don't feel sexy. I don't feel like, man, I saw that commercial with a beautiful woman. A tiger came jumping out of her gas tank. Um, it's like when I go to CVS to get you know painkillers or something along those lines. And I'm not addicted to painkillers and alcohol. Mm-hmm. But when I do get my painkillers, I get the generic brand. Uh, whether it be, you know, Instead of Benadryl, I'll get Waldrill from, you know, uh, Walgreens. I don't have to have the, the premium brand name because you look on the back of that, that box, it's the same damn formula. Um, one just does marketing. Uh, Benadryl. Hey, we're the company that knows how to get your baby sleepy. <laughs> You're watching the Super Bowl in a Benadryl ad. Go get Benadryl. And for the record, I don't endorse people getting their kids sleepy with Benadryl. Um, so get the generic stuff. So when you go into a grocery store, there's not that much difference between generic tomato paste and Hunt's tomato paste. Um, for the record, sauce, and this is just me talking, uh, from very little that I know about nutrition. Sauce is not the way to go. Uh, puree or paste is the way to go or real tomatoes. <laughs> Um, even though those are real tomatoes, but sauce is watered down and salty typically, so not the way to go. 
800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, money, investing, and more. Millennials are doing something kind of interesting. They're spurring, spurning driver's licenses. Young adults are ditching driving driver's licenses at a quickening pace. Just over three in four people who were between 20 and 24 years old had a driver's license. That shocks me. But they're using ride-sharing services, and they're indifferent, indifferent about owning cars. Uh, as a trend, it's important. That's a sharp decline of, you know, in 1983, 91.8% of people 20 and 24 had driver's licenses. Quite simply, cars are becoming less important. Automakers fear the millennials have less incentive to meet their friends in person because they communicate directly through social media and through smartphones. Toyota said on a conference call this month the company had noticed an impact. Ford, U.S. sales chief Mark Lenev, he echoed the same sentiment on a separate call. Getting a driver's license when I was 15, you got a learner's permit like at 15 and 8 months, and you still had to drive with a parent or a family member. Uh, was magical to me. 16-year-old owning a driver's license and having the ability to be mobile was fantastic, and I was able to leave the home. And I just said the word there, the ability to be mobile. Mobile is a different thing now, um, but it means the same exact. So if you've got a bedroom door, you can keep mom and dad out. United Health Group, they outperformed with a 3% gain after reporting an earnings beat. We're in earnings season. Eli Lilly outperforms with a 3.4% climb after the company announced the submission of a new drug application. The biotech stocks are not doing well. Some relative weakness there. Talking about earnings season, this is going to be a big week. Um, you should have in your head, you know, a playdown, a rundown of the companies that you have exposure to. You know, Schwab, Bank of America, Comerica, all beat expectations. Uh, Delta, First Horizon, underperformed, but Delta's numbers were pretty strong when you looked at the numbers. Tonight we're going to get IBM, Netflix. Those are going to be some big ones, right? Tomorrow uh, morning we get Goldman Sachs. Tomorrow evening we're going to get um, Polycom, Sally May, um, Cathay Bancorp, so you're going to start getting some you know, kind of regionals. So Thursday brings more earnings as well, including the one, the only uh, um, E-Trade's coming out, Intuitive Surgical High Flyer, Starbucks a big one. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Talk to you soon, and hopefully see you at the Palo Alto Seminar on the 28th. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.